Hey there, everyone, and welcome to one of my favorite podcasts, but my opinion might be biased. That's right. Welcome back to Avatar, the podcast. This week, we'll be joined by... Oh, who could it be? I feel like maybe we'll switch it up this week. No, we're never going to switch it up any week. That's right. (laughs) It's Acorn Bandit. Hello. I am also one of immense bias towards our podcast. I mean, I really like it. It's very well researched and Acorn is amazing. And Greg's funny sometimes. And I'm Booster Greg. I don't know if I said that before. So my brain is a little frazzled because Netflix threw us for quite the doozy when planning out this podcast. Quite the loop-de-loop. Apparently, Mr. or Mrs. or Doctor, we'll say Doctor, Doctor Netflix decided that (laughs) these two episodes, chapter 12 and 13 for book two, would just be one episode on their platform. And as we said last week, I think we said last week, and if we didn't, we're saying it now, we decided to go with the Netflix ordering just in case anyone new to the show is watching and following us episode by episode. It might just be a little easier for them. And also after watching it, I can kind of see why. In, the, in chapter 13, yeah, a lot happens and yet not a lot happens. <laughs> You'll see what I mean. So we're going to be talking yeah. about chapter 12, The Serpent's Pass, in chapter 13, The Drill, or as Netflix likes to call it, The Secret of the Fire Nation. That's right. And for what it's worth, The Serpent's Pass and The Drill did air together as a one-hour special titled Avatar, Secret of the Fire Nation. So I guess Netflix is technically following suit, but I did learn, this is some fun factoids about that time period, mm-hmm. this special airing, was sponsored by Upper Deck Entertainment. Really? Which is the distributor, uh uh-huh, of the Avatar trading card game for the special premiere screenings at numerous cities throughout the United States. These screenings began on September 9th, 2006, which was six days before the Nickelodeon television airing. So they paired it way back when, and I guess they're going to pair it again now. But as far as the story goes, it does make sense because... Otherwise, if they're separate, they'd be a little lopsided. One's a little more meaty than the other. Yes, I can confirm that after my notes. It's like just a little peek behind the curtain. It's eight pages of notes. Three of those are the drill. So, woo. <laughs> yeah. Woo. Yeah. Three whole pages. Three whole pages. Well, two and a half, but I'll, I'll round up for, oh my God. for them. <laughs> uh, so, chap- just so everyone knows, chapter 12 was written by Michael Dante DiMartino and Joshua Hamilton, and it was directed by Ethan Spaulding. And chapter 13 was also written by Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Kanetsko, and was directed by Giancarlo Volpi. So... Was there anything you want to talk about before we jump right into it? Uh, No, just the usual suspects. Yeah. We have a tough pin and we have a Patreon. That's right. So choose your adventure in ways to support the fam of Avatar the Podcast, either with a cool, shiny tough pin or with a choose your own nation Patreon tier. I'll make it easier for everyone. Why not both? Just go for both. <laughs> Why not both? Just treat yourself. You know what? You You had an amazing last year. So just just, you know. 2020 has been great. Let's celebrate. 20... <laughs> 2020 was rough. Just just treat yourself. A pin and and maybe some some extra stuff. We'll see. Anyway, all right. I'm, before I digress any further, let's jump right into it. <laughs> 
Let's do it. We join Team Avatar as they are relaxing and playing in a small pool while Sokka studies the scroll that he took from the library, and Toph is just kind of like hanging out by the wayside. When Katara does a water bomb, her brother sarcastically makes note that, yeah, sure, it's great. Just get water all over the 1,000-year-old scroll from the library. No big deal. And Katara apologizes pretty quickly and uses her water bending to completely dry out the scroll, leaving it undamaged, which I thought was pretty <laughs> ingenious. That was pretty nice. Also, I love it. It's super small because the camera is panned pretty wide. But if you look closely, Sokka like lies on top of the map and attempts to protect it as best oh, yeah. as he can. <laughs> but it gets soaked anyway. Yeah. So good thing Katara was there with her water bending to save it. Mm hmm. Uh, where to next, Aang asks, and Sokka points out that the only bit of land that really connects their current location to the city of Ba Sing Se, which is their destination, is a small sliver of land called the Serpent's Pass. When Toph asks if he's sure that this is the only way, Sokka reminds the group that Appa isn't there, so they can't just fly there anymore. Katara tells her brother to be a little more sensitive about Appa not being around with the group, but Aang says that it's fine, it's okay, it's whatever. The young airbender assures the group that while he was upset about Appa, he is now focused on getting the news of the Fire Nation's weakness to the king of Ba Sing Se. Oh. Yeah. The group is stunned by Aang's response, and Sokka announces that they will head straight to Ba Sing Se with no more distractions. And as soon as he finishes this thought, a group of friendly refugees show up <laughs> out of nowhere, seemingly, and greet the group. And Sokka does not look happy. After a brief conversation, Team Avatar learns that the three refugees are going to Ba Sing Se. Uh, since one of the refugees is pregnant, they tell the group that they are trying to reach the city before the baby is born. And this is Than and Ying. We saw them before, and I mentioned them in the last episode right. talking about the rough rhinos. Yes. So really quickly, Than is voiced by Brian Tochi. Toki? I don't know how to pronounce the last name. I'm sure I'm butchering. I'm going to say Toki because that sounds better to me. Brian Toki, who is known for being the voice of Leonardo in the live action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies. Ooh. So that a was turtle. pretty cool. He's a turtle. We we had a turtle a last time. A Teenage Mutant. Yes, that's true. Ninja Turtle, that's to true. be precise. That's very, very true. Uh, he was also uncredited, but in the movie Forgetting Sarah Marshall, hmm. which I love that movie. Here's a fun little detail about the group, too, because... In prior episodes, we saw Than and Ying, but we did not see this third person. It's true. So even though she appears in nearly every scene in this episode, The Serpent's Pass, mm -hmm. as well as a couple scenes in our next episode, The Drill, this is Than's sister, and she has no lines whatsoever and was never formally introduced. Her relationship to Than, Ying, and the baby Hope is only known through Nick.com. She also did not appear in Zuko alone when Zuko passed their campsite on his ostrich horse. I actually forgot that she was even there when I'm like reading this. I'm like, there's three of them. I was like, maybe I'm being clever <laughs> and saying the baby counts as one. Nope. There's the sister that everyone forgets about. She is what you would call a wallflower. Yeah. Pretty much the definition of it. <laughs> Great, we could travel through the Serpent's Pass together, Katara exclaims, but the refugees express some concern and mention that the Serpent's Pass is a dangerous path that only the most desperate take. Tan invites the group to come with them to Full Moon Bay, and that there's actually a hidden ferry that goes to Ba Sing Se directly. The group agrees to take the safer plan. 
<laughs> and they also give Sokka a lot of grief about it, too. They're like, yeah. mm, do we go the easy route or your route? Toph really rubs it in his face, yeah. too. Yeah, Toph is pretty brutal to him in this episode, which is pretty <laughs> funny. Not too long later, the gang reaches Full Moon Bay, and Katara notes how many lives have been uprooted because of the Fire Nation. Than then says that all of these people are waiting to go to Ba Sing Se and restart their lives safe behind the walls. Our attention is then brought almost immediately to a ferry that is actually taking off to go to Ba Sing Se as we join Iroh and Zuko aboard this ferry. Ooh, before we do, I want to talk about something that was super cool to see in the art book. There's a lot of art from this episode that appears in the art book about this episode. And the coolest thing is to see how they use these huge, gorgeous illustrations as the background for the animation. Mm. So that opening shot of the waterfall campsite and then this one that we get a full moon bay where it's like a top down view of the processing center and then the bay itself and then the, the rocky cave like surroundings. That was designed by Seong Hyun Oh and painted by Brian Evans, along with the later scene in this episode. They animated the boats and the characters on top of the illustrations and used that zoom and pan effect to give it a sense of movement. So it was really cool because I looked at the art book before I watched the episode. And so I was like, oh, I recognize that. And I totally understand what they did now because they just put stuff on top of the illustration. Super cool. And I've also seen that effect used in uh, animation with a friend of ours, uh, Murgles. Yeah. She's a streamer on Twitch and also my co-host on the other podcast I do. She is an animator and she has created a couple animated films. The most recent one being called Trinkets, which is about an Icelandic gnome who leaves presents on the side of the road for passerbys. And if you're interested, you can search for uh, Trinkets by Miranda And you should be able to find it, but it's super cute. Mm -hmm. In watching her create that, though, she did the exact same thing. She created this giant illustration and then used a zoom and a pan and put stuff on top of it to create her scene. So really cool to see this done on like a massive scale like Avatar as well. Yes, yes. And if you look up trinkets and say like, gee, that style looks kind of similar. Where have I seen that before? You probably might notice that it's very similar to the style of our new album art. Which we're very excited uh, about. Look at your screen right about now. Right there. That's her work. It's so good. It's so perfect. I love it so much. She's probably never going to listen to this, but we love you, (laughs) Markles. We'll make her. (laughs) We'll figure it out. So, yeah. So the gang reached Full Moon Bay, right? And we see all like the refugees kind of like waiting to go on board. And then we're brought immediately back to a ferry that is taking off to go to Basingse. And this is where Iroh and Zuko are aboard. Who would have thought after all these years, I'd return to the scene of my greatest military disgrace as a tourist, Iroh says to his nephew as he puts on a hat with like a cute little flower on it. (laughs) Zuko corrects his uncle and points out the harsh reality that they are not tourists. They are refugees. Zuko eats some of his meal and immediately spits it out as the food is rotten. And he's just tired of living like this. This road life, not for Zuko. Zuko vents his frustrations about how he's sick of living like a peasant. Aren't we all? A familiar voice says as the camera cuts over to a young man chewing on a wheat straw. (gasps) We know this young man as Jet. He then introduces himself to Zuko and Iroh, as well as what remains of his freedom fighters, Smellerby and Longshot. 
Jet tells Zuko that the captain eats like a king while everyone else has to eat scraps and rotten food. And they plan on correcting this injustice. Zuko accepts Jet's invitation to join their heist. <laughs> there, I just, I just gotta say this. There's a lot of cool guy energy on the screen yeah, when Jet is. and Zuko are standing next to each other. Yes, yes. And it, you don't realize how similar they are until next episode, which I'm very yes. excited to talk about yes, that. me too. <laughs> what do you think happened to the rest of the Freedom Fighters? Because there was more of them last time we saw them. There was a lot more. There was, there was like a whole way colony. Way more. My my headcanon, just because I'm a, I'm still a little angry with Jet after mm-hmm. his episode. My headcanon is Smellerby and Longshot are the most loyal of the Freedom Fighters okay. who decided to stick it out with Jet after the terrible, awful, horrible thing that he did. And the rest of the Freedom Fighters were like, yeah, no, we're we're going to move on. My headcanon is the exact opposite of that. Ooh, let's hear it. My headcanon is that there was a coup and what happened was actually more terrible than what Jet would be able to stomach because they're coming to this city for a second chance. Yeah. So wh- why would, if he thought he was in the right and was the rest of the group was like, now nah, we're good, why would he want a second chance is kind of my train of thought. Ooh, so I like that. They were doing something so terrible, more terrible than destroying an entire village of innocent people that he was just like, I, I can't be here and, and rethinks his entire vendetta against the fire nation and decides you know yeah. what let's just go to bossing say let's start a new life and <laughs> just like you i think that smellerby and Longshot were the most loyal and they're like we're with you yeah i could see either another more awful jet stepping up and doing something even worse than what jet did yes. and jet being like all right i'm gonna cut my losses and leave <laughs> yeah or he was kicked out and convinced to go to bossing say by smellerby and Longshot. oh Okay, yeah, I like that too. Yeah, this this new, more eviler jet, I'm going to call him Turbo. He has two wheat straws <laughs> in his mouth, in, in my head cannon. Oh, no. Double, double That's the too cool. hardcore. <laughs> that kind of cool would break the screen, which is why we've we never, never seen see him. We, we never will. That's just too Turbo cool. Turbo will never alight the screen. We will never see that level of cool. By the way, if anyone out there, you don't have to do this, but if anyone out there wants to draw what they think Turbo looks like, I would be very interested in that. <laughs> Again, a special shout out to Arthur yes. for your, your Zhao fan art where he's made cupcakes. Yes. Because Zhao is the best baker, obviously. Back at Full Moon Bay, the cabbage merchant is denied access onto a ferry because He's the cabbage merchant, and he's just got a cart full of produce that may or may not have cabbage slugs. And cabbage <laughs> slugs can ruin the natural ecosystem of Ba Sing Se. So the woman in charge orders security to take care of the cabbages and a giant platypus bear thingy. Don't don't think I didn't forget about the thingy. Oh, my God. Destroys his entire cart. And it's like a brutal platypus bear. It's like very mean. It's not cute. It's like at feral. All. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The cabbage merchant does as cabbage merchant will do and holds his head and screams, my cabbages, and is escorted away. Oh, my God. This is the third time we've seen Mm -hmm. the cabbage merchant in the series and in as many times watched him lose his cabbages. At least this time wasn't the fault of Aang. That is true. That is true. 
Uh, here's a note about the cabbage slug. Mm -hmm. It is a tiny brown and white creature that can reproduce very quickly. So a group of these animals is capable of destroying entire cabbage patches in less than a week. This pest is sometimes hard to spot as it burrows deep into cabbages and eats them from the inside out. So by the time its presence is realized, it is often too late to salvage the vegetation. As a result, a single cabbage slug could destroy an entire ecosystem and is why they're taking this threat so very seriously here at the port. Can you imagine if the cabbage merchant is secretly Fire Nation and they're just trying to like do some dirty war tactics and just ruin like the ecosystem and food and farming? That is on the same level as saying Jar Jar Binks is a Sith Lord. He is. And I don't. That's confirmed. I don't know. You cannot tell no, me not. that he's just tripping and flailing around. It takes out an entire droid army that a Jedi could not do. So he's it's a Sith Lord. It's called slapstick comedy. I don't know about it. It's, it's called Drunken Master. And <laughs> it's real. If you do a shot by shot playthrough of this scene, you will be able to see a cabbage slug flying through the air. Oh my with God. The, the scraps of cabbages. <laughs> he did have so. them. See? It's true. Yeah. He's Fire Nation and he's out to destroy the ecosystem of the Earth Kingdom. Confirmed. <laughs> the ticket lady calls for the next person in line, which happens to be Aang. Aang asks the woman for four passes, but is denied passage as they do not have passports. Sokka tries to help by telling the woman that Aang is the Avatar. The woman looks at them unimpressed and she informs them that she sees about 50 avatars a day and then points to a crowd of avatar cosplayers and one of them is picking <laughs> his nose, which is hilarious. It is hilarious. Oh, the fake avatar, which is second from left, mm -hmm. was modeled after Mike. That's really cool. Michael DiMartino. Yep. yep. <laughs> Also, when the camera pans over, I adore that wimpy flute version of the Avatar theme. That's yeah. Played. Yeah. I love whenever they do that. They have like this big epic theme and they make like a little like doot version of it. It's so funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the woman adds that there are also no animals allowed and threatens to call security. Remembering what happened to the cart of cabbages, Aang says that that won't be necessary. And next, I'll take care of this, Toph says as she pushes Aang aside. She places her passport on the woman's desk and introduces herself as Toph Beifong and requires four passes for the ferry. The woman sees this pass and is so impressed that she improves the request for four tickets, even though she should only really be doing one. The ticket lady does give some pushback about Momo and saying, you know, animals are still not allowed here. But Toph tells her that this is her seeing eye lemur. Totally reasonable. That's reason she needs that to see. Come on. What are you doing? <laughs> Here is a fun translation of what is written on the passport. Oh, yes. It reads, Earth Kingdom First Class Passport, Toph Beifong. I like that Toph is like throwing her family's weight around in this one where she's like, she doesn't do it often, but when she does, it just always works, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get a specific line from her, I think, in the next episode where she says that she chose to leave her manners behind. Yes, so it is next I love episode, how yep. she, yeah. I love how she chooses when to throw that weight around because it's always a treat when she does. Yes. Because you kind of forget to like, just kind of like you forget how that she's blind from time. At least I do that from time to time. Um, you forget that she's super rich, spoiled brat because she doesn't act like it, but she yep. is 
kind of. She was raised to be. She was raised to be. And she kind of is spoiled. Like we we saw that in the first episode with her, with the group where she was like, I am carrying my own weight. And she didn't really consider, you know, other things. But you you all can just go listen back to that episode because I have to tell you now that Toph thanks the woman and then the group walks off. As the group walks away, Sokka celebrates their victory over the ticket lady, but is cut short when he's pulled aside by a security guard. This security guard is a young woman who waves her finger at the young water tribe warrior. She demands that Sokka present his tickets and passport. When Sokka asks if there's a problem, the young guard yells and says, yeah, I got a problem with you. I've seen your type before, probably sarcastic, think you're hilarious, and let me guess, you're traveling with the Avatar. Sokka looks at the guard blankly and can't tell if he knows her or not which infuriates the guard who reminds Sokka who she is by kissing him on the cheek. Sokka immediately recognizes the guard as Suki from the island of Kiyoshi. Only (laughs) she's not wearing her makeup and has a completely different uniform on. Suki lights up and smiles and notes how good it is to see Sokka again. I love Sokka's reaction. He's like, Suki! (laughs) I love this whole scene. Because yeah, yeah. I didn't recognize her either. Because like when we first see her, the only time we see her is she's all made up as a warrior of Kyoshi. And yeah. they're all meant to look similar by design. So when you don't have that character marker, you're just kind of like, who are you? And the voice actress, albeit very talented, is that kind of like almost generic sounding kind of voice for like a young female character. So they didn't really like differentiate too, too much. But they changed that in this episode, and I'm very glad they do. Yeah. I also appreciate Suki's sense of humor, and I'm sure Sokka does too. They're very compatible, and I enjoy that. Yes, yes. She's just so, like, tough and, like, slightly teasing and a little flirty, but, like, also, like, sensitive. Yeah, it's so great. A little bit later, the group talks to Suki in a tower above the dock and notes about how she's unrecognizable without her makeup and uniform. See, everyone? It's not just me. Anyways. Suki tells the group that the ticket lady makes everyone wear the same uniform. She then flirts a little bit with Sokka and asks if he's been working out. Uh, I'll grab a tree branch and do a few chin touches every now and then. Nothing major, Sokka says as he flexes a little. (laughs) I love them. (laughs) Aang asks if the other Kyoshi warriors are here, and Suki tells them that once Aang left their island, they wanted to make a difference, so they escorted some refugees over to Full Moon Bay and have been working here ever since. She also wonders why the group needs tickets for the ferry when they can just ride Apo to go wherever they need. And Katara explains that Apo has been missing and they are hoping to find him in the city. When Suki asks if Aang is okay, the Avatar looks at the young warrior blankly and then gets a little bit of an attitude. And then he just kind of goes off this whole thing where he's like, I'm fine. I'm just, everyone just stop worrying about me. (laughs) As soon as Aang finishes his thought, Dan cries out and asks the Avatar for his help. All of their belongings have been stolen, which includes their tickets and passports. Aang offers to talk to the ticket lady, but it's no use. No passports, no tickets, no exceptions. No shirt, no shoes, no service. Exactly. He even tries to be like, here, they can use my tickets. And she's like, no, that's no, I can't. So what is interesting about the ticket lady is... We get a lot of characterization out of her in just like a few scenes. She's a Mm -hmm. very by the book, by the rules, because her feeling is if you don't follow the rules, it's just anarchy. Yep. Like, it's not like, oh, you can just bend this one. It's very black and white. You bend it once, (laughs) you have to bend it every time after that. And then what's going to happen? 
Aang looks at the group and wipes away the denied stamp that the ticket lady marked on his forehead when she yelled at him <laughs> and then tells them that he will escort them through the Serpent's Pass himself. Dun, dun, dun. As the group leaves Full Moon Bay, Suki catches up with the group and tells them that she's coming too. Sokka asks if she thinks this is a good idea, which is confusing to Suki because she thought he would be happy about her coming along. Sokka tries to explain himself and stumbles and pretty much says the wrong words, or at least with the wrong tone, and then just gives up and says that he's happy that she's coming. When they get to Serpent's Pass, Sokka notes how unwindy it is, but then kind of shrugs it off and chalks it up to just being misnamed. Ying, who, as we know, is the pregnant woman, walks over to one of the posts and points out the words Abandon Hope that are carved into it. Ying is upset by this thought as hope is all they have left. Yeah. Here's another sign translation for you. Mm -hmm. The one up top says Coiling Serpent Mountain Pass. And the message on the pole can be read as or is translated as Abandon Hope in the show, but can also be translated as Sever Hope. This warning is similar to Dante's Divine Comedy, where the inscription above the gates of hell read, All hope abandon ye who enter here. Oh, yeah. I did think that sounded familiar. Huh. Yeah. Oh, and a final thing, when they're standing there in front of the sign and in the distance, you can see the structure of the rock going off into the distance. That is another illustration that they layered animation on top of. I feel like it's a new technique they learned and they're just like really trying to like figure it out and see what works best in this episode, which I can appreciate. Or it's always been the case, but they were like, okay, this Serpent's Pass episode has some really good art. So let's like showcase this in the art book. And we're just like, whoa, concept. (laughs) This is neat. And the animation world is like, yeah, every day, man. Yeah. Yeah. Also, they're getting more of a budget, I would assume, at this point. So they're probably just like, we can just do more things now, more beautiful things. Aang, the ever insensitive jerk, notes that the monks used to say that hope is just a distraction. So maybe they should abandon it, which makes the gang super worried about Aang's mental state at this point. What are you talking about? Katara asks, and Aang explains that hope is isn't going to get them to Ba Sing Se, and it's not going to bring Appa back. They need to concentrate on the task at hand. As the group begins to cross Serpent's Pass, Suki warns everyone that the Fire Nation does have a presence on the other side of the lake, and they're working on something very secretive that no one knows anything about. Foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Dan nearly falls into the water, but is caught by Toph, who then pushes him back up to safety. The commotion seems to attract the attention of a Fire Nation naval ship nearby that launches a fireball immediately at the group. Aang jumps into action and redirects the fireball back at the ship, who responds with yet another fireball, which hits rocks above Suki, and Sokka jumps into action and pushes her out of harm's way, which puts himself directly in harm's way. Toph luckily manages to earthbend like a canopy kind of thing over him, and that redirects the rocks into the ocean. Okay. That, yes. that right there is the exact move mm-hmm. I was imagining the guide in the Great Divide would do. I wanted but to talk to you about this. Yes. Awesome. Yes. Yeah, that's it. That's what I talked about. So I had a thought right here. I'm going to make a note so I don't lose my spot. I had a thought right here. The tour guide, or I can't remember what his, his actual title was, but back from that episode, the filler episode. <laughs> As everyone the knows, great it, the Great Divide. <laughs> the greatest filler episode of all time. Yeah, it was very interesting that like, his earthbending in theory isn't much different than everyone else's, but in practice it is. And I find that very interesting because he does, 
you're right. He does this thing where like he moves the debris out of the way and tackles it head on where Toph just like builds something to, yeah. to protect everyone. So it's like, while they're both kind of taking it head on and not worrying about the consequences, it's just like building versus moving. It's weird. Yeah, you're right. The falling rocks and debris, he guided it directly. So like it was falling in a line and then all of a sudden the line was going over their heads and over like the cliff. Yeah. But here, Toph makes a projection out of the rock to almost like a roof. She like creates a, a roof or a slide that makes it fly off to the side and not hit anybody. Right. I remember we we threw some serious shade at the tour guide. Right. Yeah. Because he broke his arm in that episode and all of a sudden he was like, oh, no, I can't bend. Yes. Yeah. I'm done for. Leave me for the vultures. But like we talked about how Boomy can bend with his face. Right. And Toph could probably bend with her small toe. No, she did. She did bend with her small toe under the table That's at right. dinner. Yeah. She created those fissures. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder like a different earthbender if they would do more like the tour guide or more like Toph, because Toph is self-taught. Mm-hmm. That's, that's like where my kind of train of thought is. So anyone listening, if you have any thoughts on this, please let us know at avatarthepodcast.gmail.com or tweet at us or, you know, send a, a flying lemur or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's a matter of style and like skill. Fair. Toph manages to earthbend the canopy that redirects the rocks into the ocean. Sokka immediately jumps back to his feet and runs over to Suki and tells her that she needs to be more careful and she was almost hurt pretty badly. Thanks for saving my life, Toph. Hey, no problem, Sokka, Toph says to herself as the group (laughs) runs through the pass and away from the damaged Fire Nation ship that is so beat up now from this little encounter that it's just not even going to bother pursuing them. It's just there, stuck in the water. Later that night, the group sets up camp and Sokka tries to set up Suki's sleeping bag for her and is just in general being super overprotective of her. Suki tells Sokka to knock it off and calls him out on his actions. Sokka admits that she's right and agrees that she is totally capable of taking care of herself. A fraction of a second later, Sokka pushes Suki out of the way because he thinks he sees a spider. Uh, There isn't one. There's no spider. Didn't exist. Sokka, chill out, dude. Yeah. You're acting more like a Soka than a soccer right now. I'll tell you that much. Oh, man. <laughs> That's a low blow. But it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Sokka seems to have completely forgotten about how capable Suki is. But of course, it's because he lost UA. So he's overreacting. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't want anything to happen to Suki. Yep. What I really appreciate about Avatar is when they present something, they continue with it. They don't just drop it. Like mm-hmm. they could have very easily back in the swamp been like, oh, yeah. I've been thinking about UA a lot and then just never mention it ever again. And then you just kind of move on, but they don't, they keep on bringing this up. So I really appreciate that storytelling and that like attention to detail. Yeah. It makes the story feel like a living thing. It, it influences and informs itself instead of just being like a series of facts and events. Right. Back on the ferry, the freedom fighters featuring Zuko break into the captain's quarters and steal a whole bunch of food. It seems they are a good team. Yeah, actually, they make an incredible team and it's too good to be allowed to exist. Yes, it's just like, I feel like it's a good thing. We'll find next episode what happens between Zuko and Jet, because otherwise they would just take over the world of Avatar. They're just (laughs) too cool. It it would (laughs) be all all the guys would be like, I want to be both of them. And maybe some of the girls, too. And some of the girls, all the girls and maybe even some of the guys would be like, man, I just want to like be with them 
And then that would be it. A couple months down the down the road, you'd be walking down the street and just everyone has wheat sticking out of their mouths and they're <laughs> leaning against walls. They have these like hook contraptions and they're just like oozing cool. And, and blue spirit masks everywhere. And all of these are marked up 200% in price. <laughs> yep. Uh, we rejoin Aang as he looks at the horizon. Katara walks up to Aang and is worried about her friend. When they were in the desert, all Aang cared about was getting Appa back, and now he doesn't seem to care at all. Aang admits that he was so angry that he couldn't control himself, and that he hated that feeling. Uh, when Katara tries to tell him that it's okay to feel feelings, and that blocking himself from any emotion is not the way to go about this, Aang shuts down even more. So like, she's like, come on, give me a hug. And Aang's just like, this is the coldest thing I have seen happen on Avatar yet. Mm-hmm. He politely bows and says, thank you for your concern. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Aang loves hugging Katara. Yeah. This is big time bad news. Yeah. Elsewhere, Suki approaches Sokka as he's sitting and staring at the moon, which is heartbreaking, by the way. Yeah. Suki comments on how beautiful the moon looks tonight, and Sokka agrees. Which... It's kind of a weird meta compliment. Yeah. Well, so it means two different things to both of them, right? So Suki's like trying to like, I think maybe set the mood a little bit and say, hey, beautiful night. And what that means directly to Sokka is, hey, your dead girlfriend's gorgeous. (laughs) Terrible. Oh, no. Suki tells Sokka that she can take care of herself and asks why he's been so overprotective lately. Sokka tells Suki that he recently lost someone and doesn't want to lose anyone else. Suki tells Sokka that she also lost someone recently, although he's not dead. But he was handsome and funny and brave. Sokka jumps up and asks if he's taller than this mystery man, to which Suki says, no, you're about the same height. (laughs) Sokka gets a little offended and asks if he's better looking than this other man. It is you, dummy, Suki says. The two move in close for a kiss, but Sokka is the one that backs away and apologizes. He just can't do it. I ship them so hard. It's also interesting that Sokka is the one that wants to be smooshing the ladies. And both times that he gets the opportunity, he backs away. Which I think is so realistic because he's he's working through something right now. He's still in the stages of grief and he has to come to terms with that before he can move on. For sure. But he also did it with Yue back in part one and part two of Siege of the North. Yep. Back on the ferry, the Freedom Fighters have given out the food from the captain's quarters. Iroh notes how Smellerby is an unusual name for a young man. Smellerby stands up and says, that's because I'm not a young man. I'm a girl. And she storms away. Note, Smellerby is still a weird name for a person in general. Doesn't matter what your gender <laughs> is. <laughs> yeah. Longshot chases after her and with a single glance gets his point across. As long as Smellerby is confident with who she is, it doesn't matter what other people think. I love that. That's a great lesson for any world or time period. Yeah, I agree. Jet sits down with Iroh and Zuko and informs the two that people eat like this every night in Ba Sing Se. It is a magnificent sight, Iroh agrees. Jet asks if Iroh has been to the city before and Iroh nods, Once, but I was a different man then. Jet seems to relate to Iroh's sentiment and tells the old traveler that they're going to the city for a second chance. Iroh notes how noble it is to try and start over, and tells the young rebel that he, too, believes in second chances. Mm. And he kind of looks at Zuko a little bit when he says that. Yeah. The next morning, Team Avatar walks through the Serpent's Pass and hit a dead end. 
it appears that the path has been broken and they will need to walk through, walk on, or somehow get over this huge like lake that's in the middle of their way, essentially. Uh, it's not a lake. I, I struggle to like describe this. It's literally just like the path is broken by water. Yeah. This this chunk of ocean that is in their way now. There's like smooth sailing. Not real. They're not sailing on the rock, but they're just walking through. And all of a sudden it's like, well, now there's water here. I wish we had a water bender. And then they're just like, that's when the guitarist yeah. is just like, all right, everyone, single file. Let's get a move on. Uh, <laughs> so basically what they do, their plan is Katara and Aang kind of bend the water around everyone. So that makes almost like an air pocket so they can walk underwater, mm-hmm. which looks really cool. These kids are so freaking talented. Yeah. It's so gratifying to watch them use their skills to adjust and adapt to their surroundings. It's like, I love it. I love seeing their growth. Oh, yeah, me too. I, I also, when she did this, though, I wondered why Toph just didn't bend the earth up from the ocean. Yeah, well, she saves them later. That's why. <laughs> Variety yeah. of bending. Fair, fair. Once underwater, Momo jumps into the ocean and chases some fish, only to have something rush by them. Kind of freaking out, Momo rejoins the group, and what that huge thing was in the ocean turns out to be a large serpent, and it crashes through the air bubble and punctures it, and it causes water to rush in. Toph immediately jumps into action, and Earth bends everyone back up to the surface to safety, and the creature that was attacking them reveals itself. It's a giant sea serpent, and... Good news, everyone. Sokka now knows why it's called Serpent's Pass. (laughs) This next line slays me every time. Suki, you know about giant sea monsters. Make it go away. Sokka (laughs) says to Suki. She looks at Sokka and explains that living near the Unagi doesn't make her an expert. Sokka picks up Momo and offers him (laughs) as tribute to the giant sea serpent, but gets scolded by his sister immediately afterwards. As is tradition. Yes. Actually, I do want to point out, too, by the way, Sokka does get wet after his sister uh, waterbends. Yep. Also, as is tradition. Aang informs the group that he will distract the sea serpent and tells Katara to get the group across the water. Katara freezes an ice bridge from the plateau that Toph created and then goes to help Aang with distracting the serpent. There's Toph flexing her skills. She made this like little rock island for them. But like, so this is something I never really understood about earthbending. Does it get like more brittle the more they like the the bigger the object is? Because if that's the case, I can see her not wanting to do like a bridge and reconnecting the two ledges. But if that's not the case, then I still don't understand other than like for storytelling sake and, you know, for displaying more than one type of bending in an episode. I don't understand why she mm-hmm. just didn't like slam her foot down and just make a normal bridge and connect the two. I think it's based on the size of the thing you're trying to bend. Okay. Like the bigger the thing, the more bending power it takes, the more like proficient you need to be. I could see her doing a series of little islands, but I wonder if she's too high above the ground of the ocean mm. or the lake. I guess it's the lake. Yeah. For her to like, they were walking through the little water bubble along the bottom of the lake, and that's where she could earth bend them up to the surface. But I think once at the surface, she's too far away to like, quote unquote, see. The rest yeah. of the ground or the bottom of the lake to earth bend more. Hmm. She probably could too if she really thought about it, but they're in like a crisis situation with the serpent about to eat them. So yeah. I can see why she was like, um, I'm going to stay here on my island, the thing that I just created. <laughs> I love that. I will live and die here. Yes. As Katara and Aang go to distract the sea serpent, Toph, like you said, decides that she likes life better on her plateau. It's nice and safe and she can see and all of that. 
She quickly changes her mind when the serpent begins to destroy the path as it's getting distracted. And Sokka yells out to Toph for her to follow his voice, which Toph comments is pretty hard to ignore. She nearly makes it to the other side of the ice bridge when the serpent's tail shatters the bridge and Toph falls into the water. She yells out for help because she can't swim. Sokka does this. So I couldn't figure out what this was. My first watch through, I was like, okay, Sokka like takes off his boots because that's what you do when you jump into like the water to swim better. But on my second watch through, it looks like he's doing a weird leg stretchy thing so he doesn't cramp up. Whatever your headcanon in is, it his, sounds is right? like a Sokka thing to do, yeah. honestly. Uh, so he does this weird like leg stretchy thing and says that he's coming. He's coming to save Toph, but Suki beats him to the punch as she dives in and saves the young earthbender. Toph, thinking that it was Sokka who saved her, says how thankful she is and gives Suki a kiss on the cheek. Suki then kind of like she blushes, blushes a little bit and then admits that it's her and not Sokka. And now Toph just wants to drown. But she can't because even though Suki is not an Unagi expert, living on an island does basically mean she's a lifeguard. Yep, that's true. I just thought it was funny that like, or not funny, I think it's interesting that I feel like the writers are trying to set up like a ship between Sokka and Toph somehow. Yeah, I think they are. I think it's, well, I think it's a couple things. Yeah. Kids that age develop crushes on people and Toph is traveling with this guy. It's the only guy that she's really gotten to know. And if you think back to her life in the city that she grew up in, she probably didn't get to meet anyone aside from like full grown wrestlers mm. or earthbenders. I say wrestlers because of the link to yeah. pro wrestling, yeah, yeah. but she probably didn't meet anyone her age that she really liked. And so traveling with Sokka, she probably just has an innocent crush on him. But I also think it's the writers developing just like another fanship for people to like think about. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, interesting to me that like Sokka is getting all this like romantical interest and Aang gets the one and that's it and granted like I don't want Aang to have any more but like even Katara has more than one essentially mm -hmm. and Aang's just like okay this is my life now I'm the avatar and maybe Katara who knows let's see let's find out I mean who wouldn't get a crush on Sokka he's goofy and that warrior's wolf tail is pretty snazzy he's, Super a, snazzy. he's an upstanding guy and his old belt matched his bag. So he's a man of style. That it did. Mm -hmm. He's got it all. Suki saves Toph. Aang and Katara manage to waterbend a whirlpool around the serpent. And when they release him from the swirling waters, uh, the serpent gets thrown against the rocks of Serpent's Pass and is defeated. So he either gets knocked out or he just goes underwater and runs away. I like to think it's the second yeah. one because it's just funnier to think about this giant thing like whimpering and, and slithering away. <laughs> with like stars yeah. circling over his head. <laughs> uh, the crowd cheers as Aang and Katara rejoin them. The group manages to get to the other side of Serpent's Pass where they can see the walls of Ba Sing Se. Ying collapses because the baby is coming right now. Sokka wigs out a little bit and asks if she can hold it and Katara tells him to calm down. She then jumps into action as she's delivered babies before. Her brother is quick to correct her and tell her that delivering baby Arctic seals doesn't count. But Katara looks at her brother blankly and tells him that she's also delivered human babies. <laughs> I actually liked this little bit of depth. I know the whole point of this scene or this development is to have a baby named Hope to reinstate yep. Hope in Aang. But I liked the, the little touch that 
Because I, I guess it, it harkens back or it connects back to that thing I talked about in the Southern Air Temple episode, I think, mm-hmm. where I found it really impressive that these kids just know how to live off the land and camp and forage. Mm-hmm. They just leave home and they're good. They got their packs. They got their sleeping bags. They can forage. They can, you know, work for some money by being the avatar and entourage. But I just think it's cool how Katara has practical skills, too. Yes. She can sew. She can deliver babies. She can defeat a, a water serpent. Like, <laughs> she's she's well-rounded. She's great to have around in a crisis. Doesn't matter what the crisis yeah. is. She's good to have. <laughs> she then uses her past experience to kind of get everyone to jump into action, where she tells Aang to get some rags. She tells Sokka to collect some water and uh, Toph to earthbend a giant tent around Tan and his pregnant wife. Suki and Katara go into the tent to help. Back on the ferry, Jed approaches Zuko and tells him that as soon as he saw his scar, he knew exactly who Zuko was. The prince gets a little worried, but Jet was kind of more speaking in generalities since he doesn't know that this is Zuko, Prince of the Fire Nation. He just knows that Zuko is an outcast like himself <laughs> and outcasts need to stick together. What a tense bait and switch moment. I know. He's like, uh, you do? I feel like that happens quite a bit with Zuko, though. Yeah. Zuko tells Jet that he's learned recently that being alone isn't the best strategy. Oh. Back with Team Avatar, Ying gives birth. Poor Sokka walks in at the wrong time and faints immediately. Once the baby is born, Katara announces that it's a girl. Toph gives Sokka a hard time and asks if he wants to go see the baby or if he wants to faint again. Sokka says that he's good this time, and the two enter the tent, leaving Aang outside by himself. Katara appears in the doorway and tells him to come inside and that he needs to see this. Everyone crowds around the baby and notices how pretty and perfect and squishy the baby is. Aang looks on and smiles. He then tells Tan and Ying that seeing this baby has given him hope again. So they decide to name the baby Hope. Outside, Aang admits to Katara that seeing the baby has shifted his perspective again and how he has hope and that he wants to go out and find Appa alone. After finally hugging Katara, Aang and Momo take off to the sky and go to Ba Sing Se. Suki also says her goodbye to Sokka and admits the only reason why she wanted to go with the group was to make sure that Sokka got through okay. Talk about a switcheroo. Sokka's sitting there going like, watch out for the rocks, watch out for spiders that don't exist. And Suki's the one who's been protecting him this whole time. (laughs) She's like, I want to come along to make sure you're okay. And he's like, wait, but I was protecting you. And Suki's like, no, I was protecting you. (laughs) (laughs) Now that they are at the walls of the city, she needs to return to the other warriors of Kyoshi. Suki begins to apologize for the almost kiss is what I'm calling it. Uh, and that she must have misread the situation. But Sokka kisses her and tells her that she talks too much, which is something that she said to him earlier in the episode. Okay, that makes it better. I forgot about that. Yeah, I, I didn't say that. I didn't include that in my notes, but she did tell him that he talks too much. So it was kind of like a few. It wasn't like a shut up. You talk too much. It was like a flirty kind of like. It was a callback. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That shows that he was paying attention to the things that she was saying. So therefore, it's uh... sweet and not possessive. Yes. Aang flies over to the walls of Ba Sing Se and is shocked to see a giant drill approaching the wall with a Fire Nation emblem on top of it. I guess Appa's going to have to wait some more. Well, that was short-lived. That was short-lived, but not too much more because guess what? We're going to just dive right into the episode, the drill. So the drill slowly approaches the walls of Ba Sing Se and it is huge. Aang sees this and immediately rushes back to his friends. 
After he's asked about what's going on with Appa, Aang says that it's going to have to wait. The group rush over to the wall of Ba Sing Se, and Aang and Toph earthbend them up to the top. Sokka asks what could possibly be larger than finding Appa. That, Aang says, as he points to the drill approaching the wall. What are you people doing here? Civilians aren't allowed on the wall. As soon as the group reaches the top of the wall, they find themselves surrounded by a group of soldiers. Aang tells them that he's the Avatar and he, he needs to speak to whoever is in charge. They are immediately brought to a man named General Sung, who is sitting behind a desk and tells the Avatar that his help is not needed as they have it all under control. Sung explains that the wall cannot be penetrated. It has never happened before and definitely won't happen today. After all, it's called Ba Sing Se, not Na Sing Se. I love that line. It's the stupidest <laughs> line ever. I love it. It is. It's also not accurate. Yeah, I I imagined not. Because <laughs> he was like, that means not impenetrable. She says something like that. And it's like, I'm pretty sure you're making that up, pal. When Toph asks about the Dragon of the West, General Sung is taken back for a moment and then notes that that was only for a short amount of time and he was quickly expunged afterwards. So it doesn't count. That one time doesn't count. Don't worry about it. Sung then points out that there is an elite squad of earthbenders known as the Terra team that can easily take out the drill. But as we find out in the next scene, it is a giant problem as Mei and Tai Li are able to take down these elite guards super quickly and easily. When General Sung sees that his Terra team was so easily defeated, he yells that they're doomed and then bows his head to the Avatar and asks for help. The question is, how are you going to stop that thing? Aang wonders out loud while everyone stares at Sokka, the idea guy. Sokka complains that he can't be the only one who thinks of ideas. That's a lot of pressure. Katara smirks and says he's also the complaining guy. That part, he doesn't <laughs> mind. Uh, let's talk about Sung for a minute. Yeah. General Sung was a member of the Council of Five, a group of the Earth King's most trusted generals who dictated Earth Kingdom military policy. He was in charge of defending the outer wall of Ba Sing Se. Although highly incompetent, he was promoted to the rank of general. His poor commanding skills were countered by his eloquence, allowing General Sung to talk his way out of most problems and leaving the real work to those who, quote unquote, knew what they were doing. I definitely get that vibe. Yeah, I do 100% as well. I also like that him and was it General Fung from the Avatar State? Yes, I think so. I like that. They're both not great leaders, but they got promoted anyways. Yep. And at first, when we were talking about this in the Avatar State, it was because like, oh, he's just like a Zhao knockoff. He's the like the Earth Kingdom Zhao, and he just like sleaze his way or something to the top, and that's it. But now that we have this like second example of it, I think they're running low on leaders and generals. Mm. So they're just promoting whoever at this point just to like kind of fill the ranks, which is very desperate and shows you what kind of state the Earth Kingdom is in. Mm -hmm. So I like that. Meanwhile, we rejoin Iroh and Zuko as Iroh flirts with a woman who's in charge of getting them into the city and manages to gain entrance. I'm going to forget that I saw that, Zuko says, fairly disgusted with what he just saw. And it was like, Iroh's really putting on the charm on this one. He's just like, <laughs> yes, oh, you're looking beautiful today. And it's just hilarious. Something about like a blooming flower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. At this station, by the way, we were just talking about Ba Sing Se and Na Sing Se. Mm -hmm. 
where they're getting their passport stamp, there's a large sign above that translates to welcome to Ba Sing Se. And the characters used in Ba Sing Se means perpetually strong city, not impenetrable city, as General Sung stated. Ah. However, an alternate etymology of the city's name is translated as unbreakable city. Hmm. A few places behind them in line. Jet standing there with Smellerby and Longshot, and Jet tells his crew that he thinks Lee would make an excellent freedom fighter and makes a comment on how similar Lee is to himself, as we all already knew and discussed earlier. Smellerby <laughs> comments that they've come to Basing Se in order to make a new start, and Jet acknowledges this and then asks for Longshot's opinion. Longshot just kind of shoots a look at Jet, and Jet says, I can respect that, and takes a straw out of his mouth. Back on top of the wall, Katara is healing one of the Terra team's soldiers as he lies almost completely paralyzed. General Sung wonders what happened to this man as he can't really see any physical evidence of harm. Katara tells the general that his chi is blocked, which she manages to unblock shortly after. The soldier tells Katara that two girls ambushed them and they were able to defeat all of the Terra team. Katara recognizes the chi blocking as Tai Lee's handiwork and explains to the general that her technique feels like you are being taken down from the inside. That's how we're going to take down the drill. The same way that Tai Lee took down all those big earthbenders. The idea guy finally has an idea. <laughs> Quick note, as an elite platoon, the Terra team was the first line of defense for Ba Sing Se. So instead of relying on the strength of the outer wall all the time, the Terra team faced enemies on the plains before that fortification, which is why they went out and faced the drill. They're like a special team that tries to take down attackers before it even gets to the wall. Huh. I also like that it could be Terra team, which is like, you know, for Terra for Earth, but also yeah. possibly double meaning terror team because they're the terror for everyone trying to get in. <laughs> like the way it sounds. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. spelled like Earth yes. Terra, but it sounds like terror. Yes. Yeah. I, I like, like that, too. It's so good. And I think Sokka even mentions how much he likes the name. Yeah. Another small note is whenever the camera's panning across that plane outside the outer wall, we can see Tundra tanks, which we also saw in the Northern Air Temple episode. That's right. And for me, that is there solely to give a scale to the drill, which is huge. Yeah. And it's like it's like a skyscraper just like on its belly is like how mm -hmm. basically how big it is. And um, it also moves like an inchworm is what I noticed, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. With the help of Toph's earthbending, they use a sand cloud as cover and are able to easily sneak into the drill. Toph chooses to stay outside of the drill as she won't be able to bend in there and doesn't like the sound of that, but she will give them support from outside. Ty Lee sees the sand cloud. I, I put in this next sentence just for you, Acorn. Ty Lee <laughs> okay. sees this sand cloud and notices how puffy it is. She goes like, poofy, it's so poofy. <laughs> I love it. I do. <laughs> when Azula hears this, she looks over to Kin, Quinn, Chin, Chin. Oh, that's right. Is this, this is War Minister Chin. This is the I same told Chin? you all we'd see him again. I didn't Here even recognize him. We last saw War Minister Chin when he was visiting the Northern Air Temple. Oh my God, this makes so much more sense now because he is overseeing this brand new technology that was probably yep. developed by the mechanist. Another thing. Remember, everyone, I told you to bookmark that moment in your yep. brains. Well, go find that bookmark. Turn to that page in the Northern Air Temple on the desk of the mechanist. There are blueprints for this drill. 
That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. All right. So uh, when Azula hears this, she looks over to Chin and he assures her that it's probably nothing and she shouldn't worry about it. And he's like super nervous. He's get, or not super nervous at this point. He's getting kind of nervous. Uh, and then I love when you see him super nervous later. Because the last time we saw him, he was very much like, I am the man in charge. I am the big evil bad. And Azula just like slaps him essentially with like her level of evil. Once they're inside, Sokka tells Aang and Katara that they need to find uh, schematics for the drill. Something that tells them where to look for a weak point. When they come across a valve, Sokka immediately breaks it. What are you doing? Someone's going to hear us, Aang yells. Sokka explains that's the point. Whenever something breaks in machines like this, there's usually an engineer that rushes over to fix it. And engineers usually have schematics. As soon as he says this, an engineer comes rushing through and Katara, I love this move, uses the steam from the valve to freeze the engineer in place. And Sokka just kind of like yoinks the plans out of the guy's hands. (laughs) Yep. Once Sokka is able to see how the drill works, they quickly devise a plan he is able to see that the inner part and the outer part of the drill are connected by bracers. So all they need to do is cut through the bracers and that will take down the drill. So obviously in this whole big segment where they're trying to figure out how to take down this drill, we see a lot about the way it's constructed. The drill has a construction and function that's similar to a tunnel boring machine. The difference being that the tunnel boring machine is made not for war, but for building tunnels for traffic often for trains. And although it can only drill through hard ground and is very slow and expensive, it is much safer than creating tunnels the traditional way through the use of laborers. This machine also has a resemblance to the Ritter Midgard's Schlange, I think. It's German. I'm not sure. A 524 meter long Nazi war machine devised to breach enemy fortifications in World War II, but it was never built. Yet another connection between the Fire Nation and Nazi Germany. Yep. I'm not crazy. Well, I'm crazy, but for other things, not for this one. Anyways, (laughs) back with Iroh and Zuko, Jet tries to recruit Zuko to permanently join the Freedom Fighters. Iroh waves over a man who is selling the finest hot tea. As soon as Iroh takes a sip, he spits it out as the tea is ice cold. Zuko declines Jet's offer and ignores Jet's pleads for him to reconsider. Jet's focus is then brought to Iroh, who is now enjoying hot tea, and his eyes widen in anger. They are firebenders! So this is Jet's eyes that are just like, yeah, firebenders! <laughs> Zuko knocks the cup of tea out of Iroh's hand, and here's everyone's pun of the day, scolds him about how stupid it was to firebend. Is that a playoff of scald? Yes. Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> Iroh cries over the spilt tea. Because it's just so sad. I love it. He's like, I know you're not supposed to cry over spilt tea, but it's just so sad. Yeah. Which is obviously a playoff of don't cry over spilt milk. Yeah. (laughs) Back inside the drill, Team Avatar is able to find the bracers and get to work. It takes all of their effort to cut through just one. And Aang says that he can't do too many more of those. The drill then begins to rumble and Sokka believes that they already won. But what we notice is that the drill is shaking because they actually made contact with the wall of Ba Sing Se. Sokka begins to panic a little bit as it took everything out of his sister and the Avatar to cut through one of those bracers, and they can't even dislodge it from the gear. Aang thinks for a moment and remembers what Toph taught him. 
Toph has been teaching him that you should never put 100% of your power into any one strike. What you need to do is distribute it and then land a final knockout blow. So the the smaller jabs kind of are meant to unbalance your weaken, weaken or unbalance your opponent. And then you yeah. do like one big final knockout punch and then they're down for the count. The group immediately gets to work on their new plan. So basically all they have to do is cut through half of every bracer instead of mm-hmm. all the way through. Back in the command center, calls are coming in that an engineer was found and attacked and that one of their bracers was cut clean through. Chin looks frightened at this point and tries not to look Azula in the eyes. Let's go, ladies. That's my Azula. Azula. Oh, let me try it again. <laughs> Let's go, ladies. No, that's terrible. Let's go, ladies, she says. And the captain is now even more frightened. I am no Gray Griffin. I'll put it that way. No one is Gray Griffin. That's we love true. Gray Griffin. She's on TikTok, by the way. And it's very she funny. She is on TikTok. She's very funny. <laughs> she like uh, has a back and forth with her son in the voice of Azula. And it's just so great. <gasps> Yeah, I haven't seen that one. It's so good. Anyways, as Aang and Katara cut through the final bracer, a ball of blue fire is thrown at Aang's face, who is able to dodge it. The group looks up to see that May, Azula, and Ty Lee are standing over them. Ty Lee notes that Azula was right. Uh, it is the Avatar and his friends as she looks at Sokka with doe eyes. She's like, oh, he's so <laughs> dreamy again. Like, just, just Suka, Suki's just fine. Just just the one. We're fine. We don't need any more. <laughs> I do like how it's like, oh, it's the Avatar and friends. Yeah, it's so funny. Uh, Sokka waves back in a flirty way and Katara grabs his wrists and walks him out of the room. She's like, (laughs) come here, idiot. (laughs) Team Avatar decides to split up and Katara throws Aang her water pouch as he'll need it more than she will. This splits up the three girls as Azula goes after the Avatar and the rest go after Sokka and Katara, who jump into the slurry pipeline to avoid capture. May refuses to jump in after them, but Tylee doesn't. So that's, again, just a personality difference. May's like, ew, mm-hmm. that's not great. And Tylee's like, this looks like fun. Well, she's not like, this looks like fun, but she doesn't hesitate. Yeah, she's okay with getting a little messy. Yeah. The pipeline brings the two siblings outside and behind the drill as Katara is able to water bend the slurry to keep Tylee stuck in the exhaust. Sokka tells his sister to keep it up because blocking the pipe will help with the buildup and will actually help Aang when he delivers his final blow. And there's a point here where he's just like, come on, keep it up. And she's just like, she like flings him a little bit, which is really funny. <laughs> yeah, it's like, leave me alone. Yeah. I'm working. <laughs> I'm trying. Thank you. You're not I helping. I got this. Thank you. Uh, Aang manages to get on top of the train and quickly dodges the earthbending attacks from the soldiers above. Aang yells at the general to have his men stop the assault, but the general tells his men to not stop the assault under any circumstances. Aang sighs and immediately gets to work uh, with cutting the top of the drill in order to execute the plan. Back outside the slurry pipeline, Katara struggles to keep Ty Lee and the slurry in place when Toph joins them and is able to help by bending the earth in the slurry while Katara bends the water and they manage to completely push everything, including Ty Lee, back into the drill. This causes the pipes to expand and for the slurry to find any escape possible. So this is kind of what happens if you have a backup in your house, by the way, speaking from personal experience. Oh, no. If water can't find anywhere to go, it's going to find somewhere to go. (laughs) It it will. There's not a matter of, oh, no, water can't go anywhere. It will go somewhere. And this is what we see with with the drill. It just starts oozing out of it, essentially. Yeah. It's kind of like when you're icing a cake and you have a bag of icing, but you squeeze too hard and it just goes... Yep. And you have icing all over your hands. Yep. 
That's a less gross way of putting it. Yes. Than poop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Aang is working on the final pressure point, uh, but is exhausted when Azula finally catches up to him. The two square off in battle. Azula is able to overwhelm Aang and knocks him out as he is thrown against the wall. She slowly walks over to the Avatar as the drill penetrates the wall of Ba Sing Se, and she is about to deliver her final blow when Aang wakes up and is able to create a stone gauntlet and knocks her away. This scene was so cool because she like picks him up, holds him against the wall. She's got her like fire hand going and he wakes up in like a single swift movement gets like, it's almost like the thing from Fantastic Four. Like he just covers stone around his fist and then he like manages to like punch her away and takes that like Neo from the Matrix Kung Fu stance where he's just like, (laughs) bring it on. I was like, this Mm -hmm. is so cool. This is the coolest Aang has been yet without going into the Avatar state. The fight is interrupted as the slurry. Remember I was talking about the backed up toilet? Guess what? Or the icing, if that's what you prefer. I don't know. Whatever. (laughs) The mud looks like icing a little bit. That's fair. Yeah. So uh, like the slurry kind of burst through all of the pipes and send each opponent sliding on either side of the drill. Momo flies into Aang's rescue and is able to get Aang back to the top of the drill so he can deliver his final blow. Aang takes one of the thrown boulders, which is exactly what he needed at that point, and cuts it into a spike and places it over the cuts he made with the water bending. He then air scooters all the way up the wall, and it's this very like cinematic moment, very yeah, cool, like really visually. Epic. Yeah, all the way up the wall and like stops and then runs down at full speed. Azula sees this and tries to stop him, but she is too late. The force or the momentum that he is able to like generate to deliver to this final blow just like wrecks the drill. It just KOs immediately. It's great. Azula rejoins May and Tylee and May tells the girls they lost, which I think was pretty obvious to everyone at this point. (laughs) Yes. Stating the obvious. Yes. So back over at the train station, the refugees are all kind of getting onto the trains to get into the city. Smellerby tells Jet to let it go. But it is too late. He is determined to out Lee and Mushi as firebenders. Inside one of the monorails, Iroh happens to sit next to baby Hope and her parents. And then Iroh notes how handsome the baby is. The monorail then leaves for the great city of Ba Sing Se. That was a nice little touch. Side note, Iroh is just assuming everyone's a boy. Handsome is non-gendered. Really? I always it's thought it was gender. I always mm-hmm. thought it was gender. Well, yeah. I learned something You can say a day. woman is handsome. Oh, that's true. It just Glenn, means that... Glenn Close mm-hmm. is handsome. That's what I said. Mm-hmm. Okay. I stand corrected. Never mind. The trams then leave for the great city of Ba Sing Se. We join Team Avatar in the final scene of the episode, or episodes, as Sokka tells the group how great of a job they did defeating the drill. He even refers to themselves as Team Avatar, and Katara tells him that that's not going to catch on. It does, Katara. <laughs> you're wrong. Sokka offers up new nicknames like Boomerang, my favorite nickname of all of this. Of course it is. Uh, the Boomerang Squad, because it has both Ang and Boomerang in it. The Ang Gang, which I don't really like that one. That one feels kind of weird. Or the Fearsome Foursome, because what? They're fearsome. But none of them really <laughs> have that same appeal to the group as they head into the city and the sun sets. Little does Sokka know, Team Avatar is what the IRL fan base uses, including us. I wonder, so if that was a nod, I wonder if at at that point, because we're more than halfway through book two right now, right? Mm -hmm. So I wonder at that point if people were calling it Team Avatar, and this is just the writer's way to make what the fandom created into canonical existence. Yeah, I think it's like a little bit chicken and egg. I 
don't know if it's possible to tell which one came first, but yeah. it could be either. Okay. But yeah, that's the episode. That's everything. Yay. Yay. All right. So MVP for you, Acorn. Who is it? Are we considering both episodes or one MVP per episode? Let's just consider both episodes. One episode of the podcast. So let's go with. Okay. But I will say that we always cheat the rules anyway. So if you want to do one per episode, I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to stop you. I'm not going to like turn off recording, shut off the call and be like, too late. This is it. <laughs> you know what? I think I'm going to go with Aang. Okay. Because in The Serpent's Pass, Aang consciously decides to move on and focus on the journey and not obsess over Appa. He's very self-aware in The Serpent's Pass. And then in The Drill, he plays a huge role in being able to take down The Drill and save the city. So we don't vote for him very often, even though he's like the main character of the show. So I'm going to give it to Aang this time. Yeah. All right. How about you? I think I am going to give it to, I don't know. Yours made me rethink all my perspective on the episodes. Mm. I think I want to give it to Suki. Okay, let's give it to Suki. We haven't, we haven't seen her in a while, and they really developed her character even more. And she kind of, like, the, the way she handled Sokka trying to handle her was, mm-hmm. like, really mature, I thought, and was really, very like... Very graceful. Yeah, very graceful. And, it, and I just, like, really appreciated that. And I just, I liked her when I first saw her. And now I just like, I love her even more because mm-hmm. she is just like such a cool character and she's able to keep up with Sokka and dish it right back out to him, whatever he dishes out and manages to make him not feel like an idiot while he's being an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So Suki really takes it from there. For me, the drill didn't really have an MVP, although I would probably say like, you know, Ang because he saved the day as well. But it was just kind of like a, a thing that happened. Like, it's very, it almost felt fillery to me, the drill. It did. And even like going through the recap, it was very action based. Yes. There wasn't much like story progression or character yeah. development. There was a little bit, but it was mostly action. Yeah. And I think if I remember correctly, that the drill got a low viewer rating, I I'm think for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. That's also probably why they lumped it in together with the Serpent's Pass. Yeah, the double feature premiere was very, very popular, but the drill as an episode has gotten low marks. Oh, yeah. I have, you have to imagine that if you're watching this live and they're like, oh, like a double premiere. And you're like, this is amazing. Yeah. Like, I get twice the avatar. This is the, the best thing ever. But when they separate it out later, they're like, uh, maybe not. All right. Uh, what about your moral of the episode? Don't cry over spilt tea. Nice. I want to say it's okay to feel feelings. I like that. They somehow feel compatible. Yep. Don't cry over spilled tea, but then <laughs> also okay. don't be, it's okay to feel feelings. If, yeah. It's like, don't cry over spilled tea, but if you must, it's okay to do so. Yes. Yeah. That's nice. There we go. All right. That is all the time that we have for this double feature episode, which is actually probably just the length of a standard episode for us. So it's not really double for you guys. <laughs> Sorry. I want to take a minute to thank everyone for continuing to join us on our adventures through the world of Avatar, The Last Airbender. We are almost done with book two at this point that's nuts kind of crazy i was thinking that's really crazy we didn't make a big deal out of it when we were halfway through but like i was just thinking i was doing like the episode count and i was like we're almost done this is absolutely insane with this it feels like it's gone by in a blink i know it really how are we here i don't even know what happened where did where did the year go actually maybe i don't really want to 
care about that too too much anyways as <laughs> always if you want to join me after you've caught up on all the episodes or maybe you want to take a break from all the episodes and want to hang out for a little bit longer you can always do so with me over at twitch.tv slash booster greg or you can find me on twitter twitter i don't know why i said that weird at twitter twitter at twitter at booster greg or you can find us in general on twitter at podcast avatar and you can find me online at acorn bandit and on joysons.com j-o-i-s-a-n-s.com which is the home of our oppa pin and our tough pin mm-hmm. which was designed by greg me i did it. also don't forget to support us on patreon if you so wish join your nation Represent your inner element and support our podcast. And as always, if you're enjoying the show, you're enjoying the podcast, and you feel so inclined to leave a five-star written review or a five-star non-written review, we would encourage you to do so because while supporting us through Patreon is one way to send love, another way that doesn't cost anyone anything is to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts. That's actually probably one of the best ways that you can help support the show. Mm-hmm. Aside from telling your friends. Yes, in that too. Tell all your friends. You know what? If it's safe to do so, go onto a roof and just yell Avatar the Podcast at the top of your lungs. <laughs> I think that'll work That's as well. That's effective. <laughs> Anyways, coming up next time. Team Avatar tries to warn the Earth King about the war. But there is no war in Ba Sing Se. All this and more next time on <laughs> Avatar, Avatar the, the Podcast. podcast. Avatar, the podcast, is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com. 